Hello, Sir Lancelot. Wonderful <laughs> to see you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, my friend. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Not too bad. I can't complain. Good. Good. Um, so, by the way, Lance, can I just take this opportunity to say that's a very typical British greeting? Sorry, British reply to the question, "How are you?" Not too bad. Very, uh, very British. Yeah. <laughs> we never say like, "Yeah, we're amazing. It's fantastic." It's like. Awesome, fantastic, not too bad, not too bad, yeah. yes. Hello. same <laughs> old. Um, so exactly. everybody, welcome to the second episode of Two Pints of English. Um, today we have Mark, um, if you can give yourself a brief introduction for people that don't know you. Sure, thank you Lance, uh, my name's Mark, I'm from Manchester in the UK. Uh, I've been living in Russia for 12 years, so I'm a veteran of the English teaching uh, market in Russia. I live in Novosibirsk, and uh, yes, very happy to be here with you today. So looking forward to answering your questions and getting to know you all. So you've been more. here for like almost twice as long as I have. Yeah. Did you... I'm, I'm time served. Have you always lived in Novosibirsk, or did you live in different cities to begin uh, it's a great question, to be honest with you, Lance. Um, I did some research before coming to Russia, and a lot of people on various forums told me that Siberian people were the equivalent of Geordies. Uh, for, those of you, for those of you who might not know what a Geordie is, it's a person from Newcastle in the northeast of England. And I'm sure, Lance, you'll agree that Geordies have uh, quite a reputation in Britain for being rather friendly, with a good sense of humour. Yeah, so for sure. I mean, we're both from completely different ends of the country. Um, and although I did spend a few years living in uh, London, it's a completely different world. Um, yeah. People are a lot more friendly in, I found, the southwest and up north. Because I spent yes. four years living in Preston as well. And I was working oh, right. traveling around. So, yeah, I quite like the north. It's a... Uh, more down to earth, yeah. I can say. Yeah, there is a lot to be said for that, actually. Definitely. Yes, you're right. How did you find Preston, by the way? Um, did you like it? It wasn't too bad. It was like, because I went from a very, very small village, and Preston was a very small city, it wasn't too much of a culture shock. Yeah. So it sort of eased me into city life a little bit more um, before heading off. Factory, factory town, isn't it, Preston? It's like yeah, Canada. Then it's sort of become quite gentrified and hipster, like many places. So I'm going to crack open my first beer. I'm drinking Sapporo. I don't know if you've tried this. It's a Japanese. Oh, Japanese. Yes, yeah, quite dry. Quite yeah. a dry beer. It's not too bad. What are you on today? Well, to be honest, uh, everybody, I'm letting the team down because I am drinking Stella Artois, reassuringly expensive. However, it's non-alcoholic because after the live stream, I'm going to be driving to my dacha, country house. So uh, I'm at the wheel. I don't want any policemen to stop me and take away my license. Although I think my breath might still smell of beer. <laughs> so I might have some awkward questions. A few uh, issues. Um, how do you find non-alcoholic beer here? How do I find it? Yeah, are you, are you quite a fan of it? or? Um, to be honest with you, Lance, uh, I'm rather kind of middle-aged guy now. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. 
So I have to be quite careful with the liquids that I put into my body. And uh, the more beer I drink, the quicker my waistline expands. So I try to drink uh, wine uh, more than beer, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, but because the theme of our live stream today is two pints of English, I thought it would be rude to drink wine. Well, two so, pints, um, pints of wine is quite heavy, to be fair. <laughs> exactly, yes. Maybe in um, France. But yeah, I mean, I had a two-year sabbatical, which means I didn't drink alcohol for two years. I was trying to like uh, wow. be a little bit better behaved, and I found a non-alcoholic beer in Russia had a really good selection. I was quite yeah. surprised by this. Um, well, well, it's the only alcohol which can be advertised on television, isn't it? The yeah. non-alcoholic stuff. So, um, I must admit, to be honest with you, I'm drinking Stella Artois, non-alcoholic, and uh, the taste is pretty much the same as uh, normal beer. But maybe it's psychosomatic. Maybe I will actually start to feel drunk after a few uh, glasses of this stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, my, my brain might believe that it's real alcohol. And so, guys, <laughs> I apologize in advance if I start slurring my speech or something like this. Because I remember when I first sort of went dry, I was still going to uh, bars and pubs with friends, and they always had a wide selection of non-alcoholic beer. When I went back to the UK to visit some friends, there was the smallest selection possible. And yeah. even worse was when I went to Italy. Um, I remember I was in Palermo, and I asked the waiter, can I have a non-alcoholic beer? And he just looked at me so confused. Like, what? It's like, beer without alcohol. He's like, Coca-Cola? I was like, no, 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 non-alcoholic beer. And he went, what's yeah. the point? <laughs> I was like, yeah. You know, um, Lance, actually, to be honest with you, sorry for jumping in. Uh, I'd like to comment on this, to be honest with you, because before I came to Russia, a lot of people said to me, Mark, when you move to Russia, you're going to be drunk every single day because uh, so many stereotypes. Every time Russian people eat, there's always a bottle of vodka on the table. It's really bad manners to stand up and leave the table before the bottle's finished, and so on and so on. Yet so many people that I know in Russia are teetotal. Yeah, teetotal. And it's funny that you say that you actually went dry for two years while living in Russia. Mm -hmm. And the, the same here. I also cut down dramatically on my alcohol consumption while living in Russia. So to be honest with you, I would say that people in Britain, there's more of a, a drinking culture in Britain, I think, than, than in Russia, to be honest. Controversial, though, that might, may sound. Yeah, I mean, for the UK, it's our social hub, I find. It's where yeah. you sort of meet people, it's where you meet your friends. You don't really... Okay, when you sort of get 40, 50 years old, you might go to restaurants more, but even then, most people always meet in the pub. Um, even from, I remember I was going to the pubs at about 14, 15 years old. Um, it was just a part of our culture. And we never got, yeah. it wasn't like we was getting alcoholic. We didn't go there to get as drunk as possible. Maybe when you're like 17, 18. But it was just a social experience. And especially in yeah. like smaller towns and villages. Absolutely. Absolutely, Lance. And to be honest with you, um, the city in which I'm living at the moment, Novosibirsk, if you walk around Novosibirsk on a Saturday night or a Friday night, approximately no, around midnight, you won't find any groups of drunk guys uh, walking along. If you compare that situation to Sheffield, Newcastle, Manchester, even, even London at midnight, these places are just abs it's absolute bedlam, isn't it? Yeah, just I mean, especially when the pubs are Outside yeah. of the 
backdrops and Riviera my houses there's always fights and scraps and everybody getting a little bit rowdy. Yeah, I mean, I've been here for just over seven years now. I've never once had an issue with a drunk person trying to start a fight with me. Mm -hmm. They might get a little bit mouthy, a bit loud, but in a friendly manner, like, oh, England, let's, uh, let's be friends. Uh, let's toast. Yeah, and exactly. the yeah, the same here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody um, just said in the chat, somebody said Leeds. Yeah, <laughs> Leeds is a great night out on, uh, at the weekend. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there were a few rough cities up north, I found. Um, Wolverhampton, uh, Bolton. I, I couldn't Ooh. get those. <laughs> Once. I'll give you Bolton, but Wolverhampton, that's in the Midlands. I'm sorry. That's yeah, Midlands. Okay. Okay. <laughs> North of London, of course. <laughs> But, yeah, but I mean, uh, anything yeah, above London and the southwest, that's up north for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a whole different life there. Yeah, um, to be honest with you, Lance, um, I mean, sorry for jumping in again, but I think uh, you and me, as expats in Russia, we live a rather sheltered life because w most of the people that we communicate with are quite educated, uh, they know English pretty well, and so on, and we live in pretty big cities, I think if you go into the Russian villages and the kind of um, more rural places, then perhaps people drink a little bit more um, consistently. Well, yeah, with no amenities or anything to really do, it's kind of yeah. it's like small village kind of mentality, I guess. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots of people ask me, what's Russia like? And I can't really give an answer. I mean, I've spent most of my time here in St. Petersburg. I've been to Moscow. I've traveled around a little bit. But I haven't really fully experienced it. It's just the same when people say, I've been to London, I know what England's like. It's like, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was it that Churchill said? Russia is an enigma wrapped in a riddle, something in a mystery, something like that. I can't remember the exact quotation. But yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, it's impossible to get a full picture, isn't it, just by staying in, in one, one city. The same for me in, in Siberia, I mean... I've never been to the far east of Russia or I've never lived in Moscow for any long period of time. So, yeah. But I found, I mean, what was your first um, initial thought when you arrived to Russia? How did you, oh, what did you expect? That's a great question, to be honest. Thanks, Lance. Uh, basically, I arrived and I hadn't slept for three days when I arrived in Novosibirsk. So it was a real baptism of fire. And thank you, somebody in the comments, for pointing out the correct phrase. Yes, yeah, uh, wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Yeah, that's the one. And uh, the lady who owned the language school that I was working at 12 years ago insisted on me coming to the school first thing from the airport to meet her and the rest of the uh, teachers. And as I said before, I hadn't slept in three days. And I believe it's really important to make a positive first impression. Mm -hmm. And it was like something from a really bad comedy film. Um, if you like, I can explain the reasons why it was like a bad comedy film. Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, there was one senior teacher. She was approximately the same age as me, which was about 26, 27. And she'd been helping me on Facebook while I was still in the UK with some logistical things. And she was also telling me some facts about Siberia, trying to, you know, help me to feel comfortable and so on. Uh, but we'd never actually spoken uh, face to face. Um, but the first time I saw her, I greeted her in an English way. 
So I, I hugged her and uh, kissed her. <laughs> not, not on the lips, I hasten to add, but on the cheeks. And everybody, there were about 20 people in the room and everybody was like, oh my God, what is he doing? He's kissing people. That, who, who is this crazy guy that we've invited to our school? Uh, so that was the first thing. Then it so happened that the day that I arrived was Teacher's Day in Russia, uh, the 5th of October, but I had absolutely no idea it was Teacher's Day. So I was led into a room where there were approximately 20 people sitting around a table. And on this table, there were just absolutely full of salads, cakes, sushi, champagne. And I thought, being the egotistical English guy that I was back then, that this was in honor of my arrival. So after, as I was drinking a glass of champagne, I decided to make some really pathosny speech. I said, guys, thank you all so much for welcoming me in this amazing way. I'm really honored and uh, I can't believe that you've gone through so much trouble for me and raised my glass. And everyone was like, mm, Mark, it's Teacher's Day today. And <laughs> <laughs> this is not for you. So it wasn't the best uh, of starts, to be honest. Um, I can uh, adhere to that. I had the worst possible interview to begin with. Um, when I first moved here, I was a chef. And I very quickly learned, they said that everyone spoke English in the kitchen. No one spoke yeah. English. So I started working in the kitchen and the tickets were coming out on a Friday, Saturday night. I was like, I don't know what this is. I can't read Russian. I don't know what this is. Everybody's just getting really angry at me. So I lasted like two days. Mm -hmm. And my Russian teacher pushed me to apply for an English job. So I walked into the previous school I worked in and it was the worst possible way you can have an interview. I walked in, I put on quite a bit of weight then so I walked in and went, oh, is uh, the manager here? I'd like to speak to him. I'm like, why? I said, I'd love to apply for a job. As they said that, a button fired off my coat from being too tight. <laughs> like Tom and Jerry kind of style. So I was trying to be like smart and like uh, really proper. But I was like on the floor trying to get this button that fired across the room. Um, and I was very naive when I first came there. The director sat me down and he said, why do you want to be a teacher? I was like, well... I'm a native speaker, of course. Nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, what's the third conditional? And I went, I don't know. And he's mm -hmm. like, uh, it's a subjunctive clause. And I was like, I don't have a clue. And he went yeah. bright red and started standing up, screaming at me. I was like, oh my God, what is happening here? Um, but he did say in the end, like, look, get your Celta. I'll help you out a bit. Then we'll take you on as a teacher. So that's how I got into it. But yeah, that's very interesting, actually, Lance. Um, to be honest with you, um, I had the opposite experience because, uh, first of all, about the button, it, it sounds like you were just testing their reactions, just <laughs> randomly firing, firing buttons and seeing how, how alert they were. Uh, no, but uh, I had exactly the opposite experience because the lady, Marina Yorivna, this is the only orchestra which I can't say, Yorivna, Marina Yorivna, I've never been able to say it. Um, she basically just said to me, it doesn't matter how much you know about grammar, just, just go into the room and speak. Mm -hmm. And she really just kind of threw me to the wolves, actually. There was no kind of training or at all. It's just the fact that you're a native speaker. Enter the room and communicate with, with the students. And um, 
it's actually pretty good, I think, that you, the, the owner of the language school that you were referring to actually had some standards, um, you know. And Yeah, because interestingly, I went to another English school just next door. And I was, again, the same whole thing. I'd like to apply for a job. I'm a native speaker. They were like yeah. straight away, like, great, when would you like to start? Yes. And it sort of clicked in my head, like, wait a second, I don't actually know the language. Sure, sure. I have to actually learn how to do this. And, well, yeah. well, you know the language from, a, from the point of view of a native speaker. So mm. you have your native tongue and so on. But uh, to explain the third conditional, 12 years ago for me, it was absolutely Im impossible. Now, of course, it's, uh, I wake up in the morning and just, <laughs> you know, talking about these kind of things. But I learned on the job, really. Uh, because in Siberia, there are so few native speakers. So all of the schools are just absolutely delighted that, you know, they, they have this uh, English, English person there. Yeah, so. uh, I, think that's, I think it's actually a bit of a problem here sometimes. I mean, you adapted, you kind of accepted, like, okay, I need to learn, I'll learn on the job. And yeah. find there are a lot of natives, and we call them uh, backpack travelers or backpack teachers. Yes. And they're the yeah. ones, they've like one or two months, don't actually have a clue about it. And then they sort of disappear. Yeah. That's um, correct. Yeah, they so give us a bad name, to be honest, these, these kind of people, because um, lessons with a native speaker, sometimes it's just listening to the native speaker tell you about their cat for 45 minutes and uh, um, they, they don't actually provide any, any knowledge to the students. And it does give us a bad name, to be honest. Uh, yeah. these... I don't know if you was the same. When I first started, I was spending two, three, four hours planning a lesson from a textbook, yeah. making sure I had everything in my head, everything was going to be okay. Just like sure. you now. I know it from the back of my hand. I can walk into a class, no materials, and I know how to do it. It's fine. Yeah, it's intimidating to begin with. Yeah. Um, let me just take a little uh, break a second. So we're going to play a game today for all the people out there. Um, we have a challenge. Like you have to throw any word at us, and me and Mark have to try to make an idiom from this word, see if we can find one that's connected. Yeah. If we find an idiom connected, we get a point. If we don't, you guys out there get a point. So let's see if you can... But it should be a noun. Speakers. It has to be a noun, guys. Mm -hmm. So um, let's try the first one. Someone drop a noun into the comments and we'll see if we can think of an idiom connected to it. There's always like a little mini delay with the chat. So hopefully... Somebody drop like uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or something like this into the, into the chat, I think. Okay, pumpkin first. Oh, pumpkin. Okay. Well, I can say to you that in American English, pumpkin is a, how to say, Alaska word name. Like, for example, lastachka. Uh, or you can, you, for example, a, a man can call his uh, girlfriend pumpkin. Or maybe a mother can call their child pumpkin. Am I right, Lance? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, oh, look at him, little pumpkin. When they're like a little bit yeah. chubby. A leopard. Leopard can't change its spots. Super. A pig, eat like a pig. Boot. To get the boot. To be fired. Boot. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, or, you know, in Russian, you've got a really, a really rude phrase. Um, what is it? To describe a lady, an old lady. Um, oh, my God. What is it? 
Kasholka or something like this. Somebody in the comments can, can help me. But we can call somebody an old boot, can't we, Lance? But it's very offensive. Old witch as well, with all these kind of... Yeah. yeah. Um, talking about old people, I was really surprised when I first came here. Because I swear babushkas are completely different from grandmothers. I mean, I remember back in the UK, if we got like the tiniest bit of snow, it was like, old people stay inside. You will die yeah. if you stay outside. And when I first was going from the taxi to the airport to my place, and I was seeing these babushkas walking in the snow with giant carrier bags. It's like, okay, they're quite tough here. They're not going to... They are really tough, aren't they? They are actually like a, a different species. I know that this is a kind of cliche, mm -hmm. but these babushkas who sit outside the house uh, on the bench, they, they know absolutely everything about everyone. They are the best security... Uh, they are genuine. I'm quite scared of uh, some of them, actually. I, I'm um, they, I've had so many run-ins with them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to respond. Um, I remember one time I was in the metro and I was stood right by the door. Then the very last second, someone jumped in and I fell backwards and hit a babushka with my bag. Yeah. Oh, she went crazy and me, started shouting at me in Russian. I kept saying, like, is the I'm sorry, is the she would not let it go. So everybody started staring at me. Why is this old woman shouting at this Englishman? I yeah. walked down the carriage. She followed me. I walked back. She followed me. Um, this just one. Now, now the man, <laughs> uh, but I think uh, in general, in Russian society, um, old people have quite a lot more respect um, from, from the youth. If we compare that with the, with the UK, for example, a lot... Yeah, Kasholka, thank you, somebody in the comments. Um, very often in the UK, I would say that um, senior citizens or old people are very often disrespected and so on. But you, would, you wouldn't really experience, encounter that in, in Russia. Yeah, I mean, something I was really surprised by um, was retirement homes. <clears throat> I never thought about it before. Um, here... When they get old, the parents get old, they invite them to live with the family, to look after them. And for me, that was really, really strange. And I try to explain retirement homes to my students. And I'm like, what's that? It's like, yeah. well, when your parents get old, you put them in a house because you don't want to look after them. They're mm -hmm. like, that's horrible. I was like, yeah, actually it is. It really is quite nasty. Well, um, but that's one of the big sort of differences I found as well, is the sort of family connection. For um, sure. I mean... We, we, I agree with you, Lance, and as you know, we have the phrase in English, granny flat. And uh -huh. uh, when I say the word granny flat to my students, they very often think babushkin remont. Mm -hmm. uh, but granny flat is actually an annex on a normal house where the grandparents live. Uh, but this is quite rare nowadays, isn't it, Lance, for yeah. grandparents to live in the main family with I the other generations. It's very unusual. I know maybe one or two of my friends that have that kind of system. But even mm. they're kind of locked away, you never see the grandmother come out of the room or anything like that. It's, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. we're done with you. You've, you've used your purpose. Get out now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Mm -hmm. Do they even have retirement homes in Russia? I think I, if these places exist, then they're for um, people who don't have any relatives at all or they're kind of destitute or something. I don't know if anybody in the comments can let us know if there is actually retirement homes here. But yeah, yeah. I mean, my hometown now, about a quarter of it is retirement homes. Mm. It's turned into like a proper old biddy town now. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so today we're going to talk a little bit about education um, and the differences between Russian education and the UK. Um, I mean, have, what's the biggest differences you notice straight away? Well, Lance, to be honest, there are so many differences, it's difficult to know exactly where to start. But I would say the most fundamental difference uh, is the idea of single-sex schools. Mm -hmm. Because in, um, I would say, maybe 75% of schools in Britain are either all-boys schools or all-girls schools. And that's a really alien concept in Russia. And a lot of my students are really surprised when I, when I tell them that, uh, for example, I went to an all-boys school. Mm -hmm. from the age of 11 till 18. And uh, I didn't know how to even communicate with, uh, with girls or women. <laughs> I still do. It was they were like a different species completely. And, um, well, until I was about 25. No, I'm joking. Until the age of about uh, 16, 17. Um, what, what do you think about uh, single-sex schools, Lance? Did you go to a mixed school? Did yeah. you go to a single-sex school? As I joined my primary school, it <clears throat> just abolished the whole sort of single sex. And I remember it had two buildings, which was connected in the end. And I remember on the building had like boys and girls. So I went to a mixed school anyway. Um, I mean, they have got their positives and negatives. I mean, I will put my hands up. At the age of about 14, 13, I started to become very distracted from my uh, studies because of girls. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I found it very useful for socialising. You sort of understand both sides. So I think there are positives and negatives of it, but I do believe it's a very, very sort of outdated um, principle. I know it's still very popular in Asia. They still have lots of boys and girls. Um, yes. completely segregate them. What's yeah. your take, anyway? Um, well... Let's extend it to the people in the comments, guys. What do you think? Single-sex schools, good, I good idea, bad idea, okay idea. Um, to be honest with you, I had a great time at school. Uh, it was wonderful, wonderful days, great friends and so on. And we didn't have any of these kind of rivalries. We never spent any time fighting about girls and so on. And let's face it, when you're that age, um, most fights are a result of um, some kind of love rivalries. So there was none of that. We all became gambling addicts. We used to play poker during our free time instead. Um, but I do actually think, you know, at the beginning of our session, Lance, we spoke about alcohol in Britain. Mm -hmm. And I do think that these two things are linked, actually, uh, because in my own case and from other people that I've observed, they actually used um, alcohol as a way to um, be more socially confident because they were separated from the opposite sex for all of their formative years. Um, when they were 17, they didn't have a clue how to communicate. So alcohol, wow, what a fantastic method and fantastic <laughs> technique to make you a little bit more, to lose your inhibitions, to make you a little, to show your inner self. And uh, a lot of guys, especially around the age of 17, 18, 19, they get into this habit of social drinking and it's quite difficult to lose this habit i think once it's yeah they need that like Dutch courage to sort of do anything big really yeah um for sure yeah, lots of people sort of hated their school life i loved my school life <clears throat> um it was just full of partying drinking having fun doing lots of stuff yeah. you shouldn't do um it was a great time just 
for me, in my head, it was always like, okay, it's better to get it out of your system, get all this partying, having fun. So when I become an yeah. adult, I'll be more sort of straight. Um, like, so you're to, Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the time, we were just going to parties every other night, getting drunk almost every night. Um, yeah. fun. Wonderful. Um, oh, but uh, to be honest with you, if you compare that, the, the, the situation that you've just described, to the average Russian school child's experience. I think that's absolutely night and day because I don't see many Russian school children uh, drinking, going to pubs, uh, living the kind of ridiculous life that we did. I think they're much more clean living, actually. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with you. Um, <clears throat> they're like really focused on their career. They know what they want yeah. to do, working it from a young age. I was never like that. I sort of fell into every career I'd done. I was always like a cat, always landed on my feet. I was okay. Um, but for me, I had a lot of freedom in school. I don't know if you had the same. I mean, I started at 9.15, finished at 3.15, and that was it. I didn't have any homework until the last two years wow. of my education. Um, wow. But I see Russian children here, they go to class before school, they have like an extra class, and they go to school, then they have after school classes, English classes, sports classes. That's right. mm-hmm. After they sit there, do their homework, they eat their food, and they go to bed. There's yeah. no real time for them to be children for me. And I find that so strange because this was a time where we'd go on long walks, we'd make barbecues in fields, get drunk, have a great yeah. time, all the world a little bit. Um, I think it might just be, to be honest, I, I do agree with you, but I think it might also just be that we are only seeing a certain percentile of the, of the Russian society, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I'm sure the, the people that study with you are, are not from uh, poor backgrounds and so on. So they probably have very high achieving parents and their parents also want them to be at the, in the upper echelons. I mean, yes and no, because, I mean, I remember walking around my streets. There was always drunk teenagers everywhere, all over the streets yeah. and sleep. I never really see drunk kids. If I see, like, a drunk person lying on the streets, it's someone that is just down and out on their luck. You know, like 50 Absolutely years old. Agree. Absolutely agree. Uh, although, Lance, if you visit my dacha, which I hope you will do in the future, you will, you will see random drunk people lying on the floor and so on. Because, as I said before, it's completely... It, life in rural areas of Russia is completely different from, from the big cities. But I do agree with you about teenagers. Um, maybe it's a generational thing. Because, uh, guys, please forgive me, I wasn't here in the 90s in Russia, but I'm sure probably in the 90s, Russian teenagers used to smoke, drink more than they do nowadays. I just don't think it's fashionable anymore for young people to behave to behave like that. It's yeah, more... Yeah. Uh, to be more of a trend especially here in St. Pete's people like so many more people are not drinking alcohol they're living a clean life um it's very surprising to actually see I'm talking about like all this drinking and all the bad stuff I'm gonna put a a comment in the chat and I want to see if anyone knows what it means from the viewers and see if they know what it means uh so to be behind the bike shed so is it a question for me, Lance, or is it a question for the audience? We'll give it for the audience for a little while, and then we'll okay. see if anyone gets it, and then we'll explain what it actually means. Okay, perfect. So, find the bike shed. Do you have this phrase up north as well, you? 
Oh yeah, we do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think we invented it. The things that happen behind the bike sheds in the north of the country. It's uh, uh, well, this is a family show, so we'll keep it clean. <laughs> ah, so so. Lance, uh, the concept of grammar schools is also something very interesting because um, for those of listeners who, who are not aware of, of this, uh, in Russia, obviously, you have gymnasiums and lyceums. Um, in Britain, we have something called grammar schools. And uh, when we're 11 years old, we take an exam called the 11 plus, And this determines whether or not you go to a grammar school or you go to a secondary school or a comprehensive school. This is quite controversial because 11 is a rather early age to separate kids. And, you know, in the, in the country, sorry, the county, Lancashire, that I'm from, grammar schools still exist, but I'm betting, Lance, in the southwest, there were no, there were no grammar schools oh, where, we, where you live. Yeah, we have some of the biggest ones. Um, I mean, oh. I don't know if you've heard of Taunton School. It looks like a mini Hogwarts, basically. Yeah. yeah, And that's that right. the richest um, places. Because I was actually born in Taunton, but I lived in somewhere, a little village next door to it. But I remember Taunton was a really, really bizarre town because you had all of these super rich families sending them to this school. It's one of the best in the world for this kind of age group. Um, but at the same time, it was very, very poor on the other half. So there was a huge mixture of incredibly poor and incredibly rich. Um, I remember I worked in like an upmarket pizzeria and mm -hmm. for or a generation of pure, like poorer side. This was like a really special night out. They wore dresses and suits to come here. But the rich, yeah. they just treated it like McDonald's. So it was such sure. a weird mixture that we had there. Mm -hmm. So you could, uh, by the way, Lance, just as you were speaking there, you just uh, triggered something in my brain um, about uh, fashion, actually. And I don't think this is so much the case nowadays, but certainly it was 12 years ago. In Britain, you can very often see a millionaire who's dressed like a farmer. Mm -hmm. And you, looking at this person, you would have absolutely no idea that this person is, is wealthy. But then you might notice that they're wearing a Rolex or something like that. Or they're stepping out of a very expensive Land Rover or something. Whereas 12, when I arrived in Russia, I noticed very quickly that if you want, even if you just want to go to Pitorichka to buy some kefir and something like that, if you just go there in a pair of shorts and a vest and some sandals, you will be frowned upon by the majority of the people in the shop because they'll just think that you're some Gottmik. Yep, for sure. And yeah, the, if, God, God forbid if you want to go into Hugo Boss or something to buy some boxer shorts like, like I did in my gym clothes uh, 12 years ago. Um, yeah, so I noticed, but I think the attitude is changing nowadays, to be honest with you. I would say Russia's going a little bit more European in that respect. People dress down mm -hmm. more than they did before. Yeah, I mean, the old generation richly flaunt their wealth. Yeah. You see it, all the gold, all the expensive banks, their car, where new age rich, yeah. more European, they're very subtle about their wealth. Understated, yeah. Um, interesting you talk about that. I don't know if you know, I used to work in Harrods. Um, in London, oh. Oh, um, nice. of course, the most expensive shop in the world, the full of princes and princesses and royal families. Mm -hmm. This was my clientele, these celebrities. And just before I joined, they had a very, very strict dress code. You can go in there unless you're in like suit and tie. You had to be very smart, no trainers. 
But because so many so many people in the rich started to dress down jogging bottoms, just classic yeah. t-shirts, they had to abolish this um, strict dress code to get the millionaires back in again. Mm -hmm. um, so very very interesting to see that. Like you can never guess who the richest people were because they looked like they just stepped out of the gym, but then Absolutely. they had millions on cash in them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a question. Um, are any of the grammar schools free? All of the grammar schools are free, as far as I'm aware, uh, because there is a there's a difference between private schools and grammar schools. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the, I went to a grammar school, for example, and it was it was absolutely free. Um, but yeah, private schools like Eton, for example, these private boarding schools, they are the the conveyor of the elites. So it's Eton. The Oxbridge universities, which is Cambridge or Oxford, and then the city. That's the normal path or politics. Most mm -hmm. of our politicians follow this route from private school to Cambridge or Oxford and then to, to the government. And through so, the Bullington Club as well. For the Bullington Club, that's right. Boris Johnson was a member of the Bullington Lance, uh, maybe you can tell the guys what the Bullington Club is because it's it's quite interesting. I'm sure yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm a, not a big fan of the Bullington Club, um, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, so the Bullington Club. This was it was an all men's club essentially, and it was many of the politicians, David Cameron, Boris Johnson. They were big fans of it. It was like a super elite um, group of people. They would meet up and they basically done whatever they wanted. Their stories of them trashing up restaurants and just chucking money at yep. the waiters. It was burning 50 pound notes in front of the homeless people. Yeah. And then these people go on to be prime ministers. And for me, it yeah. completely baffles me. These are the worst, most privileged, silver spoon in mouth assholes you can possibly imagine, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I... I completely go along with everything that you've just said, but I think you, you maybe even understated the trashing of restaurants thing. As, mm -hmm. as I understand it, the Bullingdon Club, that's what they lived for. They used to go to, they used to choose a random restaurant in a, in a small town or in London or something like that. They would arrive with uh, bow ties and tuxedos in their finest clothes. They would order the most expensive wines, beers, food that you can imagine. And then they would just absolutely trash the restaurant. And I mean trash the restaurant, like throw chairs through windows, tip up the table, throw the food everywhere. As Lance was saying, burn 50 pound notes in front of waiters and so on. And then they would leave without paying the bill. Can you imagine? And, but then, here's the caveat. The next day, one of their party would return to the pub, and, or sorry, the restaurant, excuse me, and write a check for the meal and for the damage that was caused. So the next day they would try to kind of uh, repair the damage that they'd caused, but still the point stands that it's just nagalists uh, of the highest degree. Oh yeah, they were gopniks of money, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, Lance, I'm sorry to change the subject, but don't you sometimes find that there are some Russian words which are just more powerful and more effective than English words? Oh, yeah. The word nagly. Nagly is just the best word. <laughs> and I swear to you, if, if for some strange reason I return to the UK in the future, I'm going to really miss saying the word nagly. Because, yeah, ujus, ujus is another great example. 
No, I mean, if you ever find yourself speaking English and then occasionally using Russian words in your speech? Um, sometimes, but my Russian's nowhere near as good as yours. I've sort of just managed to get by. And I remember I was practicing Russian. The last time I went to London, I was like, okay, I need to remember. I was like, Yahachu, Kupit, Billiards, Poise. I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was correct in my head. Mm. But I don't listen to Waterloo Station. They just looked at me. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in England. Yeah, can I have a ticket, please? Um, <laughs> so, like, I finally yeah. tried, and I was in England, stupidly. Lance, can I ask you another question, please? Sure. I'm sorry to drop this on you. Have you ever unironically sworn in Russian? For example, you're hammering uh, a picture onto your wall and you hit your thumb with the hammer and you say, like, yeah. well, um, No, I don't think yeah. so. Um, I'm, I'm primarily English. I'm stuck in that way. Um, I would love to learn more of the Russian language, but unfortunately I just don't have the time. And lots of people, all of my family, they believe that I speak Russian now. But the thing <laughs> is, I wake up nine o'clock in the morning, start teaching English, I finish teaching yeah. about 10 o'clock. Then I'm building stuff in English. Most of my friends yes. speak English anyway, so I don't actually I get in practice. It's a bubble, isn't it? Absolutely agree. Yeah. But the weird thing is, I kind of like it. And I know a language uh, teacher should never say this, but I love walking around the city not understanding people because I kind of go into my own world. It's really peaceful. Ignorance is bliss. People can be insulting you, commenting about your clothes, and you don't understand it. It's perfect. Everybody loves me. <laughs> but when I get back to UK and, like, say, if I'm sat on the metro or something or on a bus, and I can hear everybody talking, and like, it feels so loud to me. It's like, I don't care how drunk you got last night. I don't care who you slept with. It's yeah. really, really peaceful not understanding anybody. You know what, Lance? I don't want to sound like I'm being overcritical of my Rodina, yeah, my homeland, but um, British people in public are much more attention-seeking, much more attention-seeking. Yeah. Uh, if you've been on public transport in St. Petersburg or Novosibirsk or Moscow or something like that, most people just mind their own business, just keep themselves to themselves. They don't try to like attract attention to themselves. Whereas in London, I get the same vibe. People try to talk very loudly about the adventures that they had yesterday. They try to, um, yeah, it's, I've noticed this tendency, actually. This myth yeah. about people being reserved is oh, a, a big myth. Completely, completely opposite. They are, um, especially women, I find. That's what surprised a lot of people when I tell them. When they go out for a night out, majority of the people fighting is cat fights. It's women fighting yeah. women. They're the ones that get yeah. really rowdy a lot of the time. Yeah, it's true. I've never seen a woman have a fight here. I mean, they probably do, don't get me wrong. But every mm -hmm. night I was out in the pubs or the clubs in the UK, there was always a few cat fights of hair pulling and mm -hmm. scratching and... Yeah, I just don't ever yeah. see it. We even have a phrase, don't we? Handbags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Handbags when women hit each other with their handbags but it, it normally we normally use it to refer to some kind of argument which doesn't get really serious it's just verbal verbal sparring so it's handbags yeah so yes. nobody guessed the meaning of behind the bike sheds so do you want to shed some light on it i'll let you i'll let you go for it lance because to be honest with you i have a, without any context i mean it could refer to smoking it could refer well, to uh, Kind of any, 
unorthodox um, misbehavior, really. Yeah. I mean, it could be smoking, it could be taking drugs, it could be related to sex, it could be related to anything here. Something you shouldn't be doing. Um, typically, people do it behind the bike sheds. There's always like a little hidden area in schools, and this is where you'll find people smoking or doing something they would get in trouble for. Yes. Great phrase, actually. And yeah. very topical with the school, with the school chat. Yeah. Because in every, every British school, there's a little shed, Sarai in Russian, where people can park their bicycles. And normally this shed is located kind of out of, um, out of the view of the teacher's room. So if you go behind the bike sheds, that's the place where the naughty kids smoke and do other things. So, yeah. We'll leave it to your imagination what they're up to. Yeah. Um, but I remember school was very, very strange. Something I remember is the sex ed classes. And everyone's, there's always like a big sort of deal about the sex ed. Everybody's always like, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you had to get permission from the parents. Everyone's always like super excited. What's it going to be? And it was just like the most boring, informative video ever. <laughs> I found it. was a climax, wasn't it, if you pardon the pun? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and the strangest thing is, I don't know if it's the same for you, but by the time we had the sex ed talk, most people had lost their virginity in the UK. <laughs> no, not uh, no, because I went to an all-boys school, uh, so my experience was, was very, very different. Um, I was in the kind of environment where people would say, have you lost your virginity? Yes, I have. Um, I met a girl when I was on holiday in Portugal <laughs> and... Uh, you know, we were together for two weeks, but then we had to say goodbye. And everyone in my year at school had some kind of holiday romance, completely fictional, completely fictional. Uh, but I remember one, when one of my friends lost his virginity, uh, the, the next day, I don't remember it because I wasn't there, but uh, <laughs> the, next, the next day at school, he became like, imagine Conan the Barbarian arrived <laughs> at your school, right? He, he went from being middle-level popularity to like a god of popularity because he was the first guy in our year to finally <laughs> pop his cherry. And he became a man that day, literally. Like, people looked at him in a different way. He, yeah, it was... And then gradually we all kind of followed him, but it was... Uh, yeah, not, not so easy when you go to a single-sex school, to be honest. <laughs> I imagine so. That's a really nice little uh, idiom. It's probably never taught in classrooms to pop your cherry, to lose mm -hmm. your um, So, yeah. We have a question in the chat. Do you ever say, not my cup of tea? Or when did you last hear it? Oh, that's a very, very similar phrase to it's raining cats and dogs, actually. Um, it exists. It has its right to exist. But I don't think you would hear it outside of Russia, to be honest. Um, Frank, uh, frankly your, speaking. You see it in every textbook. It's overused yeah. every single time. Um, I mean, we have... Yeah. Let's, think of some different, let's think of some different idioms instead of that. It's not my bag. Mm -hmm. Could say courses for horses. Kind of similar. Yeah. Horses for courses. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, to be honest with you, though, I, I don't think it's a crime if somebody uses this phrase in an IELTS exam, for example. Um, I don't think they would lose points for it, but it just kind of 
if you're communicating with a native speaker and you, yeah, it's not up my street, that's a great, uh, thank you, Maria. Um, it sends a signal to the native speaker that your English is from textbooks and maybe yeah. not from live communication. I mean, I don't know if you want to take a little segue. Let's just take a quick one second break. And um, yeah, raining cats and dogs, couch potato, stuff like this. It's, just, it's never really yeah. said. Surfing the web. That's really, you sound like 80 years old if you're surfing the web. It's like online, completely much more natural. Um, let's have oh, another little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like adjusting the bifocals. Yeah. Um, let's have another little idiom challenge. Chuck in some nouns and we'll see if we can make some idioms from them. Yeah. Um, but also typing in some idioms. I'd like to talk to you about like uh, education of like IELTS and CAE and CPE. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it's really, really bizarre because they have to use so many of these phrases and it just doesn't sound natural to native speakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, sympathize, I sympathize with my students who, uh, lazy bones, by the way. Yeah, Sam, you're absolutely correct. Yes, um, lazy bones is another of these phrases. I do sympathize with people who take in IELTS because your English can be absolutely fantastic, but you have to jump through certain hoops that, that, that Cambridge require. And yeah, I mean... Um, However, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't have strong feelings about it, to be honest with you, Lance. Well, I mean, for me, we use very, very short sentences normally. Mm -hmm. For example, if I asked you, what's your favorite food? You might reply, pizza. But if mm -hmm. that was a question I had, so you would have to say, well, to be quite frank, I wouldn't, it's quite hard for me yeah. to pin that one option of my favorite cuisine. There is well, a things considered. Yeah, there's a lovely- They're all said and done, you know, yeah. But I mean, to be honest, to be honest with you, I mean, how could you do it differently? Yeah. Can you imagine if it was a language exam and people were just giving monosyllabic answers? I mean, it's your chance to demonstrate what you're capable of in but English. So I, I completely agree with you, but then people have to be told or understand that the language you use in IELTS is to flourish and show off what you've learned, but it's yeah. not spoken in day-to-day -day life. And the problem is they believe, okay, this is a very good IELTS answer. This is, must be very intelligent in the streets. So, That's no. true. Um, and this is where a lot of problems are caused. Normally I can identify a non-native very, very quickly, but them using far too many words. Um, they over-expand every single sentence. It just sounds so unnatural to me in every way. Well, I can, again, I can empathize. It's quite relatable because when I was trying to improve my Russian several years ago, I used to watch a lot of YouTube channels where there were people being interviewed. And this was before people like Yorif Dut and um, what's it called? Apagavarit um, and all of these kind of things. So I used to watch Posner. And the kind of Russian that he would use and his guests would use was very academic, journalistic Russian. And I started to try to use these sort of phrases with my buddies who I was playing football with and like words like Vprochim and yeah, and so on and so on. And I agree with you that context is really important. People should understand that this is just a language exam, but when you're outside of this exam. Yeah, I mean, speaking to the location where you are, is this a repeated axiom? This all yeah. Changes the language you're using, um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, Sam's said four more languages better. 
Um, yeah, it's very strange because day-to-day -day life, we use probably 95% informal, 5% formal. Yet the majority mm. of books and the majority of the stuff are always formal language. That's and, true. Uh, I'm not talking about like using slang and everything like this. I mean, slang especially, it, can, it ages very, very quickly. Um, but to have this kind of like, at least a semi-formal course book would be so much more beneficial to a lot of students. It's what I try to explain to them. Um, anyway. I, think I, I agree with you, Lance, uh, to, to a large extent, but I also think it depends on what the person's uh, reason for learning English is. Because, um, oh God, how can I articulate this? Uh, a lot of people, okay, let's move on. Sorry, I can't formulate my thoughts. <laughs> non-alcoholic non beer, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think you're basically on the same idea as what Sam was talking about last class, where he was talking about what is your reason for studying? Why are you yeah. learning English? And you need to basically bend your English to whatever your focus is. Um, and I think that's very, very important to sort of understand. Um, obviously, we're from two ends of the country, and lots and lots of people ask. Um, people are slowly learning that we don't just all speak archie English, and that there are many different accents and uh, irregularities between all counties, essentially. Um, someone always asks me, do you ever struggle to understand other British people? It's a great question, and I will definitely answer it. But first, I'd like to say that um, I'm from Manchester. And even within Manchester, there are approximately 25 different dialects. And um, several years ago, I could walk into a pub in Manchester, speak with somebody for two minutes, and understand from that two-minute conversation everything I needed to know about that person's geographical background, their level of education, their kind of uh, cultural background, and so on and so on. So accents can tell you so much about a person. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I really miss that living in Russia because if I meet a person from Vladivostok or a person from Moscow or a person from, I don't know, Perm, well, really, they sound pretty much the same. I know there are some tiny, tiny differences. And I know in St. Petersburg, you say Paradnaya, not Padyezd and so on. Like but that's more... Like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Multifora and all that kind of stuff, but the actual pronunciation is very, very similar. About um, the original question, I, I would have to say no, to be honest with you. I think I can understand pretty much anybody from the UK, mm -hmm. uh, with one exception Glaswegian men, Glaswegian <laughs> is guys from Scotland, Glaswegian men are really, really difficult to understand. Now, if you add whiskey to that equation, forget about it. A Glaswegian man who's drunk whiskey, absolutely forget about it. It's, it. But you know, Lance, I'm sure you'll agree, a lot of women find the Scottish accent extremely attractive, don't they? I, Irish especially. Especially Irish. And I mean, I don't know how scientific this study was, uh, but there was some kind of uh, Britansky Uchone decided that the sexiest word is the word murder, ubistva, murder, pronounced in a Scottish accent. Because it's pronounced like murder, murder. And oh. apparently it's like the most aesthetically pleasing, I know you can't say aesthetic about sounds, but the most aesthetically pleasing word in the, uh, 
English lexicon is murder. I remember. <laughs> I remember me and one of my friends came and visited me in Preston. I'm going a complete different tangent here. Um, and there used to be a show in England. I think it's called Cracker. It was like a detective show, and every single time, oh, it's a horse, and he's like, "Let's be the murder." Let's be the murder. Yeah. And it was like the catchphrase. And, and we were oh, trying. To, sorry, <laughs> we were trying to walk oh, to the pub, and there had been someone who died. And we're like, but we want to go to the pub. It's just there. And they're like, can we just like go through? It's like, no, you can't be here. And we, so we found a way around to the pub. And everybody in the pub was just having a big laugh about this. This is awful. Someone literally died. But all the pub was going, it's been a murder. Been a murder. <laughs> and everyone was like drinking and getting drunk. It's the weirdest place. But we're like joking around like every 15 minutes. Someone oh my goodness, phrase and everybody would join in. Oh my goodness. Lance, to be honest, I'm really sorry for interrupting you, by the way. Um, I apologise for that. I thought you were originally talking about Scottish detectives, because there's a lot of famous Scottish detectives from 90s TV shows in Britain, like Taggart, for example, oh. and uh, the guy that you mentioned. And uh, there's a stereotype about Scottish men, especially guys from God, they're very dour. And dour mm -hmm. means they have very serious faces. They never talk about their emotions and so on and so on. And they would also, they would answer the phone and say, there's been a murder, a murder, another murder. Oh no, let's go and investigate the murder. <laughs> yeah. So Lance, you were telling the story about Preston, mm -hmm. this pub with the murder. That's awful. Yeah, it was a very dodgy place. But I mean, the pub I went to was the roughest pub you can ever possibly imagine. And this is the worst phrase I've ever heard of someone being so excited. Uh, we were in the men's bathroom and it was a disgusting pub. I mean, it was like a centimetre of piss on the floor. Spit and yeah. proper classic. And there was someone in the cubicle on the toilet and he was like, oh, there's no toilet roll. Could anybody help me? And then he said, don't worry, I found a beer mat on the floor. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> This is the kind of People without without complexes, absolutely without complexes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a fun time for sure. Um, I mean, one final question before we wrap it up. Talking about. Going by the way, Lance, can I just say? Sorry to interrupt again. I'm. I've got some more time. By the way, if you want to extend it by. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 when you need to head off, I know you're off to Ladachi afterwards. Yeah, but um, it's so fun. I mean, both of us, we're dads, yeah? Yeah. Um, and lots of people keep asking me, like, how do you feel about your child going to a Russian school? I mean, what's your take on it? Yeah, to be honest with you, Lance, like, I know that everybody has, this is going to sound like the most banal thing I've ever said, so apologies in advance. I know that everybody has different views and there are lots of things happening at the moment in our world and blah, blah, blah. But I, this is one thing which I don't understand, right? Why do so many Russian people have an inferiority complex about things like this? Um, what is bad about Russian schools? I don't know. I think Russian schools are actually pretty pretty good, to be honest. They're a lot more um, than British schools, I find. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, my stepson goes to a Russian school. Um, we've never had any reason to complain about the level of education that he's received. Um, my daughter is five years old, so she isn't in school yet, but she will be quite soon. And 
I feel really optimistic about it, to be honest. Mm. And uh, just, just one point, Lance, before I hand over to you. When I arrived here, I used to practice my Russian with taxi drivers. Pro tip, if you want to practice your second language, uh, go to England and get in a taxi and talk with taxi drivers because they're always extremely happy to communicate in my experience. So I used to get taxis all the time and I used to speak to local, normal, normal uh, Siberian guys who were driving the taxi, taxi drivers and uh, they really helped me with my Russian. But a lot of these guys had, um, you know, finger tattoos of uh, prison and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but, but their level of education was surprisingly high. They could support conversations about anything, uh, ranging from literature to just you name it, they could speak about it. If you compare a guy from that generation to a London cabbie, now, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be like with stereotypes and generalizations and so on and so on. You can talk to a London cabbie about football all day. You mm -hmm. can talk to a London cabbie about different roads in London. But if you ask a London cabbie about Keats or some poet or some writer or something like that, forget about it. Now, I'm talking about the Soviet education system. And I understand that the modern Russian system is much different. Oh, okay, Lance, I'm speaking for too long. I hand over back, back to you and uh, let's get yeah, into it. Yeah, my students always told me how good the Soviet um, education was and they wish they went back to it. They brought like so many different sort of uh, things I want to talk about all at once there. Um, if you ever travel in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in Manchester, if you're traveling by yourself, it is incredibly rude to get in the back of the car. Yes, it is. That's right. You would always get in the front of the car, sit next yeah. to the driver, and you would speak to him. You'd have like the most benign conversations like oh how's your night going or anything like that but you'd have like a little chat you'd always sit next to the driver it's just very very polite yeah. but i never see anyone do this in russia it's always in the back seat don't speak to me kind of almost lance this was my english naivety when i arrived in russia i always used to get in the front of the car because of the english culture that's why i had so many conversations with taxi drivers now unfortunately i've a Bruxelles. And I mean, unfortunately, because I've lost this habit, normally now I just sit in the back of the cab and I just use this opportunity to send messages to my students and so on and so on. Uh, but I do actually miss that that contact with taxi drivers. Yeah. I <laughs> in, in England, like, it's different. It was, yeah, you would never dream of it, sitting in the back by yourself in a taxi. Yeah. So rude. Yeah. Like, I don't care who you are. You're basically my chauffeur. But it's um, so bizarre, isn't it? It's such a strange attitude. Like, this guy is not your friend. This guy is not your companion. You're paying him to take you from A to B. Why do you need to sit there and make small talk? It's just a strange part of English culture, isn't it? Yeah, but for sure. If you're ever traveling in the UK, anyone out there, always sit in the front if you're by yourself. Okay, it's the most, yeah. it's just polite. It's as simple as that. And yeah. we are a nation built upon politeness in some ways. Um, yeah. Going back to education, um, yeah, I mean, I've got no real issues with my son going to a Russian school at all. I mean, I'm going to be trying to teach him English as it is and everything else, and he's going to have a lot of extra classes. I know he will. Um, but I want to point out, I don't know if you have the same in Novosibirsk, but in St. Petersburg, we have these English schools. And I say that very... Uh, 
precarious. Um, they say like all their teachers are native teachers and they go on the English system and they charge a fortune per semester for them to go. And for yeah. me, it's, it's a con. I mean, when they say native teachers, I mean, don't get me wrong, they are natives, but they're like Nigerians. They're people from all of the basically colonies. And that sounds awful saying that, but it's true. You won't find the British, American, Canadians, Australians, they won't be working in schools. And this whole idea yeah. that we have to go off the English principle to have a good education, it's not true in the slightest. And these people are happy to pay the money and it's not beneficial, I don't believe. I could be completely wrong, but... Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point, actually, to be honest with you, Lance. I don't have much first-hand first experience of it because in Novosibirsk, uh, such schools currently do not exist. Mm -hmm. There was one that was rumoured to be opening uh, last year, but that stopped because of various reasons. Um, in Novokuznetsk, that's a city, well, sorry, I don't know why I'm explaining to your audience. I'm sure everybody knows where Novokuznetsk is, but uh, there is an international school which is going to open in Novokuznetsk. Um, are they a waste of money? I, to be honest with you, I just, I just don't know. Um, I don't have an answer. But I guess the people who send their children to these kind of schools, they don't really need to worry about money <laughs> very yeah, much. Probably completely true, I have to admit, you know. Um, yeah. But this whole sort of English education is the best. Um, I actually have a lesson recently about English education, like world education. And mm -hmm. I always ask people like, uh, what do you think are the best educations in the world? And all my students always say America and the UK. And okay, if you exclude universities, where of course we do come out top 20 almost every single time, actual sort of uh, primary schools, secondary schools, so like elementary high schools, we're very, very low. We're sort of mid-table in this. We're not that elite as people think. We're yeah. sort of Finland and uh, South Korea, China. They're completely different in that way. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not going to try to pretend that it's my specialist subject, but I did speak with one of my students about this recently, and she's something called an Anglo-mama, right? So she has a, I would say, low advanced level of English, mm -hmm. and uh, she spends all of her time communicating with her six-year-old son in English. And she has meticulously studied all of the educational institutions in Russia, in Britain, in America, compared them all. She's like an encyclopedia of education systems, right? And uh, she did tell me that in Britain, um, especially in primary school, children are normally given a text, right, which they, which they read, and then they have to answer questions about it. And the questions that they answer are designed to um, test their memory, okay? How, how, how effectively did they remember things that the characters did um, some kind of details and so on and so on. But the question about the character's motivations, why do you think the character did this? Mm. Do you think the character was correct to act in that way? That is missing from the British education system. Uh, whereas in Russia, again, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, but she, she explained that in Russian schools, very often they analyse this kind of more psychological aspects they go a little bit deeper and so on and so on and that there is a stereotype and maybe somebody will correct me and I'm, I'm happy to be corrected but in america for example people are trained to do a specific job 
So they know their job very, very thoroughly. But outside of that very narrow specialization, they don't really actually have much knowledge. Um, it's just regurgitating information, essentially. Yeah, exactly. It's about regurgitating information. It's just knowing enough to do your job effectively and I mean, to a very high level. But, I know, I'll play devil's advocate here. I find a lot of students when I'm trying to teach IELTS, they can write a thesis-led essay pretty good. Yeah. But when they have to do a discursive, when they have to look at both sides, they really, really struggle. They can, there's not a lot of critical thinking, I find. They see their viewpoint and they don't see the other side very often. And this is one of the flaws that I think could be helped here. Mm -hmm. I mean, before, I mean, everyone used to tell me how like uh, the English was so bad in schools here. And I mean, I, I experienced this. I was teaching a 14 year old kid and his homework was to take a Robert Burns poem, translate it into Russian and then explain all of the details. And I'm like, that's not a way to learn English. English literature, fantastic. But most natives wouldn't understand a Robert Burns poem for like, mm -hmm. This isn't the way you teach English. But I had the most wonderful sort of comment given to me. And uh, I, got, I run like a couple of C2 groups. And the majority of my students in those groups are teachers. And we're talking about the Russian education system. Like, yeah, it was very, very bad in the past. One of the questions was, do you think it's going to get better? And they went, yes, of course it is. Look, we are the future. We are the future of English teachers for the schools. And that mm -hmm. made me smile so much. Like, yeah. You're right, it is going to get better here. Um, well, at least I hope. Um, obviously, things have advanced. Do you think that these um, very educated and talented teachers will be willing to spend their time teaching for such small salaries? You know? They do it because they love it. That's, I mean, a lot of them have told me, like, we don't do it to get rich. And I always tell if I'm ever hiring a teacher, you're not doing this job to get rich, you're doing it because this is something you enjoy. I have to try to True. explain and I think a lot of them are on board. It's just something they love. I mean, there's, there is different paths where you can make a little bit of extra money and stuff like that. I'm not saying every teacher is poor. You can find ways to make money, but, um, yeah, yeah. I'm really kind of optimistic for English teaching in Russia. Definitely. I could, I could Definitely. be completely wrong here. I mean, we did see an exodus of native teachers going, so maybe it's a chance for these non-native teachers to sort of step up. And I was trying to explain some of my C2 students who are absolutely fantastic teachers. Like, you can start teaching advanced English. You can teach this. You're at this level. Where yeah. before, it was always like, no, they're pushed down to elementary, pre-intermediate. They can't teach anybody else. It's not true at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, definitely. I would go along with that, actually. And... Uh, um, I think it's teaching in a state school for such a small salary. In many ways, it's a rites of passage for a lot of uh, Russian language teachers. It's something that they do at the very start of their career. And they get a lot of experience and um, so on. It's pretty, pretty valuable for them. But I mean, Lance, this is a cliche, but teachers and doctors, their salaries in Russia are just absolutely shocking, aren't they? Lawyers as well. Oh, really? Yeah, lawyers are an unbelievably low pay here. I mean, if you're a doctor or a lawyer in the UK, the US, you are living a cushy life. You've got a four or five bedroom house, driving a nice Bentley. Here, no, yeah. they do it because it's something they love. 
We've got an interesting take here. In Canada, textbooks are insanely terrible. There's so much unnecessary information. Now, 40 days of three or four real information. I have no idea about the Canadian system whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Me too. I'm completely out of the loop with regards yeah. to Canada. Uh, it's just so like North of America, and uh, yeah. Uh, let's go for one more idiom. So, guys, please send in a noun, and me and Mark will try to make an idiom from it. Let's see if we can get one more in. Yep. Um, Give well, us your random words, guys, and we will try to. We'll do our best. Create something beautiful from these ingredients. <laughs> um, so another question whilst we're waiting for people to send in some nouns. Um, is there anything you miss about Manchester? About Manchester itself, to be honest with you, of course there are some cosy little places which I would like to visit, right? But the main, the most, the thing which I miss most of all is definitely people, not places. Just, uh, the friends that I left behind, that was the really challenging thing about leaving Britain. It was just saying goodbye to, to good friends and so on. Um, Lance, we've got a couple of nouns here. The first one is octopus. See, I can think of like octopus garden, the Beatles song, but it's not really an idiom. Um, well, octopus he was, he was all over her, groping her like an octopus, meaning he was very handsome. Yes. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of for that one, yeah. Yeah, definitely. it's very, very um, tiny and feely, he's like an octopus. Butterfly you can take. Butterfly. I've got butterflies in my stomach. Super. Every time I do every time I do a live stream, Lance, I have butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> uh, table. table. I will drink you under the table. Oh, very Freudian that one, Lance. <laughs> um, and uh, guys, uh, give us some more nouns. Just a couple more. Random words. Just type the first word that comes into your head. Hopefully, there'll be no more Freudian slips. Like. Idiots. Uh, <laughs> giraffe, she has a neck like a giraffe to say she's very long-necked, I guess. I don't know what else. Have we got the word ah, giraffe? Um, hmm. Giraffe. Neck like a giraffe. Yeah, neck like a giraffe. I have a joke. Why do giraffes have long necks? Why? Because they have smelly feet. Yeah, that's a good joke. It's a good joke when you're six years old. Uh, somebody has typed the word fork. Fork. Get the fork out of here. Fork off. Fork out a lot of money to buy something. To fork out a lot of money. Yeah, that's a perfect one. Or, for example, we came to a fork in the roads mm -hmm. where the roads separate. That can be used about, about decisions. Sorry, Lance, a uh, bit of a mishap. <laughs> That best alcohol kicking in now. Yeah, it's just my phone is on my computer and um, just give me one second. Yeah, yeah. Lance, do some more nouns while I sort out okay, this little technical needles. problem. Um, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Very hard to find. Yeah. Pan, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Meaning to go from a bad situation to worse. Yeah. Pink. Or you can pan, pan the camera from one side to another. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's in the pink, but that's quite rude. <laughs> so your friend was a hero in school because he was in the pink, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, tickled pink. 
Mm, good one. Uh, for example, I was tickled pink is a rather old-fashioned expression, which means that something really made me laugh. It was absolutely hilarious. I was tickled pink. Noodle, use your noodle, like use your brain. Mm-hmm. Up north, we would say use your noggin. Yeah, yeah. yeah we use I think you've got me there. I, I think the audience uh, gets a point for that one. Uh, Can you think of anything puddles related? No, I can think of pond, but not puddle. Can we say that... Some, ah, yes, we've got a fantastic northern expression. Somebody's puddled. And if they're puddled, it means that they are, they've got cashier in their brain. I, uh, for example, I don't talk to my neighbour because he's puddled. He's kind of... Like a little bit crazy. See, I have to think of like a little bit puddles, but I can't think. I mean, like jumping in puddles, no. Yeah, it's a tricky one. The table one to drink someone under the table means you will drink much more alcohol. They'll be drunk, you'll still be sober. Mm -hmm. yeah. and another one is to table a bid for something. Mm -hmm. If you're in an auction, you do a stavka, you table a bid, which is really strange, isn't it, really? Yeah, lots yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I was trying to teach a phrase to flip a house. My students were like so confused yeah. buy and sell very quickly. It's like, why flip? It's like, I don't know. Do you mind if I, uh, if we change gear for a second? Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, go ahead. So, have you ever experienced the situation where you've said hello to somebody multiple times in Russia on the same day? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly what you're getting about. Um, yeah. They find it really, really strange. We say hello every time you see them. We give them like a little nod or like a little gesture to say like, yeah, nice to see you again. Yeah. And I could, I could never understand why this is considered something negative. It's like, Mr. Boy, you should pass the Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we've seen you once. Why are you saying hello to me again? It's like, yeah. because yeah. it's polite. Definitely. Um, I don't, I don't know something else as well. For me, in the UK, we shake hands the first time you meet someone for the first time. You shake hands, I'm nice to meet you. I had students where I was teaching a corporate client, and every single time, they would line up in the doorway. I had to shake all yeah. of their hands every time I came in. And then yeah. they'd line up when I was leaving. I was like, why am I shaking your hands so often? It's like, <laughs> I know who you are now. I don't need to shake your hand twice a day. That's true, actually. Yeah. And when, for example, you arrive at some event, you have to shake hands with all of the guys, um, every, every, each one of the guys, even the guys that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a bit rude. But I yeah, think that's quite nice. Actually. Yeah, it's like, okay, let's, they love shaking hands here. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. It's like the politest thing. But yeah, I mean, we would always, for me, I'd always kind of, even if I met someone a few times, I saw you like six times a day, I'd always give you like a little nod if we're walking through a car or like, you okay? Um, Acknowledge. Yeah, you wouldn't just. I wouldn't just blank you and walk past you. For me, that would sure. be like, incredibly rude. You would just nod your head and say "all right" or something yeah. like this, or just silently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got. Let's call it another five minutes. So, if anybody's got any extra questions, please put them in now. Um, and yeah, Mark, if you've got any more questions for me, feel free. Well, for example, when you were a chef, Lance, for those, how long were you chef? Two days in Russia? Oh, yeah, about two or three days in Russia, yeah. Did you ever get in trouble for whistling in the kitchen? 
Oh no, but we had a teacher that used to whistle all the time in the school. And mm. the used to go crazy at him, like shouting at him, getting really, really angry at him. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, definitely. The whistling thing used to cause problems between my wife and I as well. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, uh, let me see if I can just change the camera a second. Do you ever sit like this, like your legs crossed or your foot out? I, I like can't show you because I'm sitting here with my boxers. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uniform of every online teacher, guys. I'm sorry to shatter uh, your illusions. Everybody teaches in their underwear and so on and so on. Um, you found out the secrets. Yeah, I was worried that when my phone dropped, everybody would see my uh, nice red boxer shorts. Uh, but um, <laughs> we'll have to check it later when we're editing the video. Um, sorry, Lance, your question was, do I ever sit with my legs crossed? Yeah, so I sit with my legs crossed, like one foot sticking out sideways. And my Russian friend was like, how dare you sit like that? It's so rude. Don't show the bottom of your foot to other people. Ah, yeah. Yes, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. I think, to be honest with you, Russian people have incorporated that from Asia. Mm -hmm. Because that's a massive thing in Asian countries, about not showing the sole of your foot to someone. It's like the, the rudest thing you could possibly do. Um, yeah. Talking about like feet and shoes and stuff like that, the one thing that really makes sense to me here, which I believe we should adopt in England, Achilles. When you go into a hospital, oh, you have to look no. back. No. You're not no. Like, those things are evil. I hate them so much. These bachile. I, I go to the gym, for example, and I'm probably going to lose, lose some friends here, I guess, now, because um, I understand the reason, the raison d'etre. I understand why they exist. But it's so inconvenient to put them on. And uh, the receptionist at the gym always says, just put them on so we don't have to clean the floor. In my opinion, Gyms they should just cleaner to clean the floor every 30 minutes or every one hour. Because you should make this place comfortable for your clients, not comfortable for your cleaner, you know. And so I have really big, Lance, I have really big feet. In Russian, <laughs> it would be size 47. And sometimes I wear, I, yeah, I wear military boots uh, when I'm in the countryside, for example. Sometimes I drive to the city. I have to put these bachili, or in winter, for example, I have to put these bachili on. They last for about 10 seconds before they just snap. And it's just awful. I'm surprised that you like them, actually, lads, to be well, honest. hospitals, I think they're pretty good. And I, I'll yeah. finish off, we'll finish off today with uh, one final story about me and bachilis. Now, okay. the first time I came here, um, I had a full medical checkup and I went to like a private um, clinic and they asked me to get changed and they give me these behelis. And I had, I've never seen them before. We do not have them in the UK. I've never seen them in my life, but they gave me free. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, two on my feet. And on the third one, I was like, does this go over my privates? <laughs> or on my head and I decided on my head so I walked out in this like uh, like, like classic like nighty the gown with bikinis on my feet and one on my head and the nurses just started laughing so hard I mean crying and I had no idea I thought like something was showing down there so I was like really nervous like, oh my god yeah. wrong 
tag on your chin. And it was only when I realized that I had something on your shoes on top of your head that I realized, right, this was where I went wrong. Well, Lance, they, they were quite cruel, I think, giving you three of them just as a kind of uh, psychological game. Maybe they were in the side room placing bets on where you would put the third one. Um, so, I, I think I'd put it in the logical place. If there was going to be three, that would be the third place to put it. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I, think you went, I think you went for the right option, though. I think the reaction might have been a bit different if you'd uh, gone for the other... Place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, let's wrap it up. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, guys, please follow Mark. He's absolutely fantastic. He's got a wonderful, wonderful page. His English is incredible. He makes incredible stories about all these old sort of uh, like medieval stories and absolutely fantastic to follow. Definitely go ahead. Um, his Telegram page is already pinned in the chat. Um, go and take a follow. Absolutely fantastic guy, and I hope you enjoyed it today. Um, Cheers, apart from that, there will be a little quiz a little bit later today or post, which will be about the live, where you can win uh, one of my free online courses of phrasal verbs and idioms. So stay tuned, and yeah, hopefully we'll see you back on the show in the future. Thanks, Lance. It's been a pleasure. See you soon, take my friend. Care. See you later. Bye bye. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.